What is good, everybody? Y'all know what time it is. It's time for season two of the Grilled Cheese Podcast. And with me today is a very special episode. First of all, you know we gotta have the co-host introduce herself. So, my lovely co-host... Hello, hello, it's Mentonic. And with me today is a wonderful cast for the upcoming play, The Exonerated. And first of all, let's just take a minute and introduce the two main people in charge of getting this thing together. Mr. Steve Vernon and Josh Bailey. Both of y'all introduce yourselves right quick. Hi, I'm Steve Vernon. I'm the tall one. Uh, which I guess makes me Josh Bailey the shorter one. <laughs> <laughs> and with us today, we have the cast with us today for the Exonerated. And our first cast member is Miss Heather Lindquist Bull. And who do you play, Miss Heather? I play Robert's lawyer, so a lawyer for your character, uh, and also two of the wives of two of the men that are exonerated. So Sandra Cook, who's Carrie Max Cook's wife. And um, Sue Gager, Gary Gager's wife. All right, so you literally two timing out here. So <laughs> next, <laughs> next we got our next uh, cast member, Mister uh, Robert Bellamy. And who is your character, Mister Robert? Uh, Deborah Tibbs. Mister Deborah Tibbs. And next we have another cast member with us today. Your name is Ben Hart. And your character is... David Keaton and Black Guy Number One. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and last, but sure it can't be least, we have the Miss other cast member here. What is your name? Tiana Rombo. And who do you play? I play Georgia Hayes, your wife. I also play the Darla, a judge, and a state attorney. Yeah, oh, I forgot to mention I'm in this little production, too, so that's a little minor detail. <laughs> but um, And what is your name, and who do you play? And I play Mr. Robert Hayes and Black Guy Number 2. Right. So, first off, I just got to ask you both, um, Steve and Josh, like, what got y'all on board to even do this type of production here? What got y'all on board with it? Well, I was uh, trying to choose our season. I'm the artistic director for Big Dog, and uh, last year's I was choosing this season I was looking for shows that had not been done in Wilmington mm-hmm. not necessarily brand new shows but just new to Wilmington and shows that had some sort of uh, social impact to them uh, that spoke uh, either to underserved populations mm-hmm. or for underserved populations and a very very good friend of mine for the last 30 years Alice Morgan Sherwood who's the company manager at Opera House uh, Theater here in Wilmington had been trying to get me to read The Exonerated for a few years. So I finally ordered it, read it, and was just instantly grabbed by it. So I have to thank Alice for pointing me in that direction. And it really fit in well, I thought, with this season. And I I especially thought that, it, that even though the show was written in 2002, mm-hmm. it could definitely be as relevant today, sadly, as mm-hmm. it was then. And Josh, what got you on board to do this? Uh, so Steve mentioned the show to me about a year ago that he was thinking about doing it. And uh, a couple years ago, I directed a show here called The Laramie Project, which was about the death of Matthew Shepard and the aftermath of that uh, mm-hmm. in the town of Laramie, uh, Wyoming. Uh, and it's really similar in that they're both kind of based on the real words that people said in interviews and processes. And so I think he reached out to me because I had that familiarity. Um, and I read the script, and I have like a huge 
uh, passion for social justice. I've taught classes in social justice and things, and so it immediately spoke to me because it was addressing an issue that is really important and not necessarily something that the average American is super aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I keep, I've reminded the entire cast this, and I post it on Facebook all the time, but like, dude, this is a story of six people, but since the Exonerated Project began back in the 70s, there have been over 157 people exonerated. So this is only six people's stories, and we could write this script over and over again 20 times and still not cover all their tales. So. Let me interrupt. So the Laramie Project that you did, yeah. can you explain to the viewers, because mm-hmm. um, uh, some people know and a lot of people yeah. don't, um, me being part of the community, I know. <laughs> Um, but please explain. Yeah, so um, Laramie Project was also a social justice kind of based play because it was addressing this idea of, of the death of Matthew Shepard, who was a gay man in Wyoming who was killed very brutally um, by two men. Um, and the, the Laramie Project is a, a play that tried to, to look at the story of how does a community um, kind of define itself after something horrible happens in the community. Uh, and I think... The Exonerated is a play about how does America define itself as a country mm-hmm. when these horrible things happen within its own country. So um, they're kind of both tied in that way. Yeah. And another similarity between the two shows, Laramie Project uh, came to being because uh, a group from New York, the Tectonic Theater Company, mm-hmm. traveled to Laramie, Wyoming, and interviewed people in the town, mm-hmm. people that were associated with the, uh, the case and the trials of the, the two gentlemen wow. who killed Matthew Shepard. And the, the amazing thing about Laramie Project is Matthew Shepard is not a character at all. He's, he's talked about throughout, obviously. But just like in The Exonerated, every single voice that you hear on stage in Laramie Project are actual words spoken by actual, real human beings. And in today's time, you could actually reach out to these people mm-hmm. via the internet, um, although I, I'm sure they prefer you not. Um, <laughs> So the, both of them are, are fascinating because they're, it's a very rare thing to see a documentary on stage. Mm-hmm. And both these shows are documentary more than they are um, storytelling. Mm-hmm. And it really adds to the, the impact because a lot of I mean, we're sitting in rehearsal and somebody is saying something and it's obviously uncomfortable that these words are coming out of their mouths. But it's like a constant reminder that like, yes, what you're saying is horrible and terrifying, but it's not the imagination of some writer somewhere. Right. Those are the things that were actually said about these people uh, in the courtroom or in an interview or, or whatever. Um, so it really adds to that, the import of what is happening in the play. They both also explore, um, we've got this this feeling of it can't happen here, it can't happen to me. but. Um, and, and sometimes those feelings represent themselves through the sound of a cell phone going off. <laughs> <laughs> Just to remind you of how important it is to, to address that feeling of, it can't happen to me, it can't happen here. Because it happens to people and it happens somewhere. And there's a few times in Laramie Project where people say, well, that can't happen here, we're a good mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. And there's a, times in uh, The Exonerated where you know these six people who were on death row basically say <coughs> this happened to me if it happened to me who else can it happen to right. and uh, one of the things that that helps us build empathy between the performers and the audience with a play like this uh, because empathy is so important in this type of programming is the audience really gets the, the feeling of 
man, that could happen to me. Mm-hmm. If I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, talking to the wrong person, mm-hmm. like I could end up behind bars. And, and once you're in the system, good luck getting out. Mm-hmm. You know? And we've taken that into mind with the staging the production too, because we want the audience to feel like the people who are talking to them are are them. They're members of the house, they're members of the audience. And so when, it, when somebody comes in, the way that we've staged it makes them feel like they're immediately part of the process. They're not just a witness, but actually, wow. you know, kind of side by side with the people on stage. Man, that's, see, I didn't got me. It hurt. Um, so my question is, like, in the casting process of this play, like, who did y'all initially have in mind when y'all were casting for this? Uh, we showed a preference towards people who auditioned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like, not how it always turned okay. out, but well, that was definitely the preference. I guess I'm going to say, like, when we all auditioned, like... What do you look what did, for? Yeah, what did you look for in us when we were auditioning for this? For me, as, as artistic director, uh, when I when I hire a director, like I hired Josh, I like to give him the most say in who gets cast. But I, I do add my thoughts on it because that's part of my job as well. Mm-hmm. But basically, the, the thing that was important to me, and, and I'm uh, pretty sure with Josh as well, was people who understood that this wasn't like auditioning for most plays where we were asking you to portray a character and giving you character traits as trying to, to get people to understand these are actual mm-hmm. human beings. Mm-hmm. So we're not looking for flashy acting styles or chair throwing or uh, what's my motivation or things like that. We were looking for people who could grasp that um, we we needed them to portray human beings on stage and not characters. Yeah, there's sometimes that you're walking into an audition and you want the person who can be the most flashy and dramatic because that's what the play calls Mm -hmm. for and the people who hit me the most and, you know, thankfully those of you who were at the original audition, it was just, it was almost immediately able to see like those who thought that they had to overperform or overdo something versus those who just kind of came in with a natural voice, mm-hmm. um, that they really stood out because they, it was obvious that they understood that I'm a real person. I'm not, I'm not a character in Cat on the Hot Tin Roof or whatever. I'm, this is a real human being. Mm-hmm. There's also a, a lot of people who, because of experience, uh, that they've had experiences, who think that if they don't have an acting resume, if they haven't been in a lot of plays or what have you, that that's necessarily gonna count against them at an audition. Mm -hmm. Here at Big Dog, you know, some people might argue with me, but I hope that that our common practice is anybody's allowed to audition, and anybody who can do the time well, that's a bad pun. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody who can put in the time. For <laughs> um, and that is, that is willing to do the work. Um, we're not necessarily interested in people with, you know, 30 different shows on their resume or anything like that. We're a true community theater. And uh, we try to be open to people in our community who want to give it a stab yeah because yeah, like even when i did audition and i sent you my so-called resume yeah i have nothing to put down for that so <laughs> let me ask a question so this is to um 
the the cast that is doing the play. Um, knowing that you were chosen to be part of this story, real life, this has happened to people. How do you feel when you're saying your lines and your parts of what these people went through? How do you feel? Well, we're going to start off with uh, Mr. Robertdale on that. I just want to see his opinion, definitely. Wow. Well, uh, I, I'm one of those guys that just, um, I don't have the experience as an actor. And, uh, and I was, I was been, um, it's been, it's been really uh, pleasant for me to be here and uh, with Mr. Josh Bay and Mr. Stephen Vernon who actually, you know, auditioned me and chose me. I'm totally surprised that they guys chose me. Uh, this character that I'm playing, Deborah Tibbs, we have a lot in common. Um, I wasn't uh, exonerated, but I have spent time in prison. And, uh, and I understand what it's like for him to actually explain some of the things that happened to him and what he feel about what, what's going on in the world today. You know, um, I, I was explained by, to, uh, actually, uh, Steve explained to me, you know, about the ice, you know. And the ice is, like, part of what's happening in society, the world, mm -hmm. and this is what he's talking about. And everything comes back to me, you know, as a black man, because, like I said, I've been in prison. I know what it's like. Uh, Deborah Chiris and I have a lot in common. He, uh, he, went, he, he left the South and went to Chicago, at age uh, 12, he picked cotton. Uh, I left the South at age 14 and went to, you know, went to Washington D.C. at age 14. And uh, <laughs> our life, our life uh, traveled. Things traveled in our life pretty much the same, except that uh, he was just trying to uh, uh, experience life and go out on the road and see what life was about. And, uh, and he found himself to be uh, uh, found guilty of a crime he didn't, he didn't commit. So I understand that, yet uh, it hasn't happened to me. But um, I feel that, um, you know, uh, everybody that goes through this and gets exonerated, I think it's a, it's a God, it's a God-given gift to them. And pretty much, I think I've talked too much already. <laughs> so <laughs> let me ask you this. Um, are you honored to to play the character of him? Like, is this an honor to you, to, to you, or is this just you know? No, this is this this is an honor to me. I uh, I I, uh, I I went online and I found out who David Tills really is, and I I, I watched I watched him speak, and I and I saw that he was a confident man in himself. And I saw that he, you know, he, he was a good man. He, he was a poet. I'm a poet. And that's one of the reasons why I think I was chosen. But I am so honored to actually step in his shoes and try mm -hmm. to bring out the, the life that he was trying to tell people. Because uh, actually, things that he's doing is a continuation. It's still, it's still going on. There mm -hmm. are people out here trying to get people from, you know, being his own. I mean, getting people his own mm -hmm. for, for crimes that they didn't commit. A lot of people on death row, I'm sure, they didn't commit a lot of these crimes. A lot of people in jail, you know, didn't commit those crimes, but 
a lot of people in jail are, you know, mm-hmm. criminals. So, mm-hmm. yeah. so you know, but uh, just to uh, just to understand that uh, this system actually works for you also, mm-hmm. and it doesn't always work against you. <laughs> you know, even though it, uh, you know, a lot of things happen to a lot of black black people on the road. You know, I still believe America is a great place to be in. It's the best country in the world. And, and uh, like I said, you know, I really enjoy playing this part. And this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me right now. Hey, that's supportive. Very, very, That yes. got me just hyped to see your role in this. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, Mr. Ben. Same question that Miss Nintonic asked. Um, so when I'm playing David, I feel honestly depressed. <laughs> uh, it's in it, it like for David, it's a real sad like mask that he's wearing, and it's like as he's going through the play, he's realizing how deeply uh, sad he is. Like he, it's like he's he hasn't accepted what has happened to him, and so by the end of it, it's like he's releasing a lot of burdens from being in this group. I feel like David actually was healed through the process of the original, like, was it interviews that mm-hmm. when they were putting yeah. it all together? Mm-hmm. So it, it really is a crescendo, like, of starting high, like, fake happy, all the way down to, like, the realization of, oh, my God, this is who I am now because of what it is. And, like, it, it's, it's really, it, it's one of the, most, I guess, personal, emotional roles I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done hard roles and things in the past. Like, I played Othello recently, and that was that was pretty rough, but, like, with David, knowing that this was him, and these are his words, and being able to read and see, like, these are his thoughts, and you can see from his thoughts that that's him finding himself through this process. So that's kind of how I take mm-hmm. it on whenever I'm performing it. Amazing. Yeah. But y'all give us some good answers in this thing, you know what I'm And then I guess it's my turn to talk about my parts. You well, left your wife out. Well, I'm going to get to the ladies. I'm going to get to oh, Y'all okay. played the very important part, too. Don't get me wrong. Y'all played the very important part, too. That's <laughs> the actual exonerated portion of it. it just, I know. No, no, y'all played a very tremendous important part of it, too. But, um, you mean the lawyers and judges don't count? <laughs> I mean, again, all of them, the, the ladies in general, the roles they play, is like even as like the wives of people who knew them, there were people right. that were exonerated. And y'all played a very important, you know, role in this too. I'm just getting like the half question out. Then I'm gonna definitely get to y'all. Believe me, I will. But um, what was your? I kind of forgot half the second part of the question. Did you ask? I'm sorry. It just. Okay, how do you feel in the character that you play, and are you honored to 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 take that role on that a person that you're pertaining really went through this? Um, honestly, because like before, I didn't even know what kind of place was. I didn't even know this was like a true story until I literally got the audition that day, and Steve told me that. But after he told me, I ended up doing like some really good research, and the fact that you know this guy has went through this for a crack. He didn't even commit. It was like wrong place, wrong time situation. And the fact that he's able to like, even though he's free, he still doesn't feel free. So even he had like those occasional setback and flashback moments. And, um, and the fact that, you know, he can't even do the one thing he loves to do anymore because of one person's mistake that he cannot get back now. 
and how it's like it's amazing to me how he even like progressed on with knowing that's killing them on the inside. You say one person's mistake. Mm-hmm. Whose mistake was it? Well, it was a lot of people's mistake. It was the justice system mistake. It was mm-hmm. the court's mistake. It was everybody's mistake. But um, most of the thing, like the police in general, it was their mistake because they didn't even bother to dig deeper into the case until years later. And, you know, thanks to his lovely lawyer, you know, she finally, you know, gave him some hope that, well, he already had his own hope according to that dream he had. And, you know, the fact that he was actually more confident when he was getting ready to get, well, when he was in the process of being tried again and knowing that he he had a good feeling he was getting released. And I like that about, right? He's always trying to, like, keep a positive thought in a bad situation. So, knowing that there was a lot riding on this case, he still held his head high and just hoped on a dream. Mm-hmm. In which, I don't hope the dozens of dreams and none of them worked. So... <laughs> <laughs> But um, I like how he kept his head high through all of this, even though he still feels, you know, very torn down in a way. But um, I am truly honored and scared <laughs> to play this role because, like, I'm just, you know, honored like y'all even picked me for it because I thought I could have sworn that I had, like, another person down the line for this part. But apparently I didn't know what y'all saw me that day audition, but I'm glad. I, I would like to ask, what did y'all see in that audition? Like, you were in the room. That helped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you showed up. And, like, to not know what the play was about, you were off book mm-hmm. for the audition. Yeah. <laughs> so so they showed immediate dedication. So that was yeah. interesting. Um, but I think for me, like, you brought, like, a voice to Robert that was very real and didn't sound like you were trying to be anything that you weren't. Um, it was just natural. And I think that was a, a huge asset for that character in particular is laid back and just human as he is and this definitely applies to you julian but really to to everyone who yeah. got cast is um you know, this is going to sound kind of uh contradictory to the nature of the script and the story but you have a sense of humor and mm-hmm. uh there's a lot of places in this script for these six people and the others to display their sense of humor and it, that's not to say that you made fun of anything or you treated anything lightly but um, thinking from an audience's point of view if you have people out there that don't have a natural sense of humor which everybody in this cast we're very fortunate they do have that um, it becomes intolerable for the audience to sit through mm-hmm. something this heavy if you don't release the pressure mm-hmm. every now and then and um, Fortunately, with most of the monologues that we had people audition with, there are moments where the actor has the opportunity to show that they understand this is one of those moments of release. Mm-hmm. Not straight up comic relief, but a sense of humor mm-hmm. about things, mm-hmm. even if it's a dark sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And um, Robert and Ben um, also have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, finding those moments where you can chuckle or smile, mm-hmm. uh, it lets the audience know it's okay to breathe. Mm-hmm. And that's so important in a story like this. So, there were some people that we could have cast that um, perhaps the one thing that, that kind of edged them out was, and, and, and an audition is kind of brutal. Mm-hmm. You don't have time to explain this to everybody in depth. But there were people who auditioned that did a, a good job with the dramatic aspect of it that didn't quite know how to 
release mm -hmm. the audience from that responsibility of staying serious and dramatic. Yeah, very, very good point there. Now, of course, we can't leave the ladies out of the discussion. Miss Heather, you, boy, you play a lot of this, but um, <laughs> how did you, you know, get, how, what kind of struck you about this script and made you want to be a part of it exactly? Character-wise, character character when, when you're in character, what, um, like this is a major issue in America today. It has been for a very long time. Um, 70s, 80s, 90s, I mean, it's, it's ongoing. Mm -hmm. um, I can't say that it's getting any better. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. There's a huge racist in America. It, mm -hmm. it's, it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, I'm honored to be sitting here with the cast and the directors. I'm honored. Um, bring your tissue when you come because you will cry. <laughs> um, but character-wise, when you're in character and you know that that you're an attorney for a person, mm -hmm. persons that got um, wrongfully convicted, how do you feel? Um, well, in the case of Robert's lawyer, again, played um, Julian playing Robert, um, she has like only about six lines, but the weight of that is that, you know, this person, um, he, he put all his trust in a dream, he says, right. and she had to deal with that thinking, well, he's putting his trust in a dream, but his life is in my hands. Mm -hmm. right. So in that time, like the fact that she did her research and she found evidence that was suppressed showing that the chances are that the person who committed the crime was actually, you know, was a white male. Um, and bringing that forward, I think is just, is so important to think that that evidence was just, I mean, it's evidence that mm -hmm. it was just ignored. And that, that piece makes it more than obvious. He couldn't possibly have committed that crime. Um, so it's one of the points where it shows both how the justice system failed him that he got mm -hmm. to that point, but then also shows that one person who cares and really listens and doesn't just look at him, you know, at face value or generalize him with a population um, shows that they can make a difference. And even if that person just said, you know, wants to put it up to fate, mm -hmm. we can put it up to fate, but it also takes action to make that change happen. Yeah, right. because and that speaks to something that's, like, the third major characters in this, we have, like, the exonerated, we have the people that they're closely connected to. The third major group of characters are the criminal justice system, represented mm -hmm. by lawyers and police officers. And we have very few examples in the play of competent, uh, you know, prosecution or competent uh, defense attorneys or, or competent police officers. Um, there are a couple, um, but we kind of see that over and over and over again. That Robert's case was was made safe by somebody who was very competent and cared, mm -hmm. but there are so many others who like were found guilty or were put in a position where they had an incompetent defense attorney or they had a police officer who was out for blood mm -hmm. or, the, or there was a biased judge, and so. As much as we kind of, like, if there's a, this play doesn't have a story arc and a villain in that kind of way, but if there's a villain in this, it's the incompetence that's found within the justice system, and then buried within that, the actual, like, racism and hatred that goes towards certain individuals that's also buried within there. So the justice system itself mm -hmm. 
swept the evidence mm -hmm. under the rug to protect <clears throat> yep. the white, the wealthy, yeah. the... I mean, just to protect itself. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, it, there, there is, whether they call it this or not, there is such a thing as quotas. Mm -hmm. It's been two whole weeks since this person was killed. We need to put someone mm -hmm. uh, behind bars. We, we don't say we need to put the right person behind mm -hmm. bars. We just need someone put in jail. And you say you said earlier that you don't know that it's getting any better. I would argue that it's getting worse mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. the criminal justice system has become a source of the economy. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, it's it's huge money now. There are corporations who exist only to put human beings behind bars that have contracts with state entities that say uh, for every one bed that you're filling mm -hmm. behind bars, we're going to give you X amount of money. Mm -hmm. So it becomes um, in the best interest of the criminal justice system to put people behind bars yeah. because it's become a, a corporate entity. It's it hasn't become a social entity. It's right. become a corporate yeah. entity. It's also the only legally mandated by the Constitution form of slavery that can exist in America today. Mm -hmm. So it's also not only are they making money off of the number of people in beds, but they're making them work for pennies. Mm -hmm. And selling those products at a high cutout and so people who are in the prison system now are making money for these rich people who are already making money by the fact that they are having prisons in place um, and you know at this point like the only thing that America does better than any other country in the world is put people in jail we're, we're great at incarceration mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. we are the number one country like, something like 35% of the world's incarcerated population is in the United States and now it's starting the pipeline begins in elementary school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's now that the juvenile mm -hmm. justice system has become like the, the starter product. And, and now you're talking about six, seven, eight-year-old kids, mm -hmm. uh, predictably minority, mm -hmm. um, not low be, income. Be because of the way that the system treats minorities, not because minorities necessarily mm -hmm. are incorrigible or break the most mm -hmm. rules. But a certain economic status, social status, uh, skin color, mm -hmm. the neighborhood you live in, whatever. But you're now starting uh, people at six, seven, eight years old and putting them in a system that is almost 100% guaranteed mm -hmm. to still be a part of their lives if they make it to 70 or 80. They're going to be a part of that system from the day they enter until the day they die. They are always going to be either an ex-convict or still a convict. Mm -hmm or somebody who dies in prison or picks up a drug habit in prison or picks up a, um, violent behaviors in prison mm -hmm. out of survival skills. Mm -hmm. So yeah, once you're in there, welcome to the club. It's, it's part of the rest of your life. And, and I'll agree with Steve that I think things are getting worse. Mm -hmm. I think the one data that always hits me, I'm, as a teacher, uh, this is the one that always hits me, is that uh, because, you know, I can't build a prison today for the population that I have now. Like, I have to look into the future to see how many beds am I going to need in the future. And the data that they look at is the third grade reading test. Mm -hmm. So they look at the third grade reading test and they look at the performance of students in particular communities or particular areas and they go, yep, we're going to need some more beds in Pender County because those kids in Pender County can't read. And they know that that lack of education, that lack of support is going to be an immediate, that, that 10 years down the road, we're going to need beds for them because they're going to be in prison. Damn, hard hitting stuff. I told you, we don't want this to be funny up there. <laughs> so um, what other characters do you play besides Roberts? Um, 
Robert. <laughs> so like like Tiana also plays she plays Robert's wife in addition to her other characters. Mm-hmm. I also play um, two of the characters, which I hate using the word character because all the role playing characters are again these are real people. This right. really happened to them. Um, uh, Sue Gager and also um, Sandra Cook. So Sue actually met her husband Gary in grade school, um, but they didn't marry until many years later and um, after. He was actually exonerated, but she went to see him in prison. She lived through that too. So I think the fact that they include um, wives of exonerated in this, um, well, we also have one of the exonerated is also a woman. Um, and so you get to see her story, and I think that's so important as well. Um, but through the wives, is that they lived through this too. These, the, mm-hmm. these people have loved ones as well. They lived through it, and what they lived through is horrific. But they have people who care about them that are living through it even after the fact, even though in this case they married after the fact. And Sue went to prison. She had the pat-downs. You know, she went through all of that as well. And, you know, going to visit him in advance, just seeing what he's going through and the hopelessness that these people feel that they can't help this their loved one or they don't know mm-hmm. how to help them. And then in Sandra's case, um, Carrie was released, and that was when... Um, she had met him um but also i think that the fact that these see these people where so much of the rest of the world even though they were exonerated they still look at them as criminals mm-hmm. they still think oh well maybe you're out but you must have done something to get in there you right. must have deserved it in some way it can't really happen to everyone um and they see these people as humans deserving of love deserving of empathy deserving of you know finding their soulmates and and continuing their life and I think as much as what's shown through these scripts is it is horrific it really is what they went through there's so much hope each one of these people has this human spirit within them that is just amazing you know you, you think one day you, you know so many people wake up like oh what do I have to live for mm-hmm. and then you see what they went through mm-hmm. every day and they woke up every morning with hope and now they just think they don't want to waste a moment of their lives and there's also just so much inspiration through this really that's some deep stuff right there (laughs) really deep and last but certainly not least Mm -hmm. miss georgia over there you actually know my real name. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I you better. That's your wife. <laughs> oh, I know her name. So I know her name ask. very well. And Heather just said it. So that being said, Miss Tiana. Um. Okay. How do you feel coming into this? When you came in this very kind of late, but still learning what you know now about the roles you're playing, especially the roles of one of the people who were exonerated, you was a mate to them. How did that feel? Not jail mate, you mean wife. Right. Again, (coughs) my brain don't think sometimes. So, (laughs) how did you feel about that just coming into this, though? Well, like you said, I came into it late, and when I I first heard about it, I was definitely going to come see it, because I've heard about the exonerated six, but I haven't, like, done a lot of research on them Mm -hmm. so just reading the script after being uh being chosen for the role of georgia hayes i realized there's so much going on just with not just with the exonerated six 
like Heather said, the wives have a story mm-hmm. to tell of their own because for Georgia, her husband was, they weren't married when they, um, when he was in, in jail, but after they got married, he had severe PTSD, mm-hmm. like really bad, and she had to change the way she walked into a room for him. Mm-hmm. And even though she loves him this much to do it, you got to think about how much pain she must have been in mm-hmm. to do such a thing. Like, to walk in, you walk in your room, into a room for years, years on years, and then all of a sudden living with someone, you have to change that. Mm-hmm. You have to be consciously all the time of how you walk into a room. So just even thinking about that part, it changed my whole outlook on not just this place, but of how people must feel of who's already been exonerated, who's waiting to be exonerated, Mm -hmm. who didn't get the chance, and the loved ones who are waiting for that person to Mm -hmm. have their chance, or helping them be integrated back into life after being exonerated. And it just, playing Georgia herself is just, portraying Georgia herself is just, it's an honor for me. That's the best way to put it, and um, I hope I'm doing it at least oh, you a are. little bit of justice. Um, yeah. Partake in George's role with um, Robert being one of the the people that were wrongfully convicted. Do you feel that? Do you ever? feel like I wish I could do more um, where are the loops and holes as you Heather as well as being a wife of like do you ever feel like there's something I can do to make this process is there anything do you feel hopeless you know um, what do you what do you say to him when you go visit them in, in prison um, you know, are there any words? Or what, what, what do they look like? Or how do you think they feel, you know? Well, um, Georgia herself is sort of like the devil slash angel on Robert. <laughs> <laughs> because, or a better, she's the hype woman to, to Robert. Um, every time you hear Robert speak, Georgia's there, and Georgia will put the attitude where Robert is not. There is an okay. There is something Georgia says that puts the not that the uh, not the period the exclamation mark on what Robert said. Like, and there's been and there's times in the play where she's like, "No, that's not right. This is how it should be. This is what you need to say," and it's. Georgia's way of supporting her husband, of letting people know what was done to her husband was wrong. Because there's many times where he's telling the story mm-hmm. and sort of downplaying it. Right. And Georgia's like, no, this doesn't need to be downplayed. It needs to be, instead of making a molehill, you need to make a fucking mountain out of this. Mm-hmm. So that's what Georgia does. Like, she, she's there for Robert and, like, 
in a way, emotionally, physically, mentally, she's there for him. So you're basically the voice for Robert when, when, because he obviously can't be his voice. Yeah. You know, he can, you know, talk to a certain extent, but you being on the outside, you know, you're like, no, it's this way, this way, this way, and this way, and this is how it's got to be. Because right. if it's not, you're you're never gonna get a chance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another thing I kind of wanted to do, like with the majority of the cast, like especially like the husband and wife portion, is like the chemistry that was built in between them in general. Like we had a, for instance, since your wives are two people, <laughs> what was the chemistry like between both of them though? When you first started working with them, if this is your first time working with them. Yeah, actually, it's, yeah, it's the first time for me both working with Charles Auten, who plays Carrie Max Cook, and um, Richard Deke, who plays um, Gary Gager. Both of them, I think it's just, when you see them in character, mm-hmm. you, I can't help but get in character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because the, the empathy that... Um, you feel for them but also just the realist because they do they still have a sense of they still have a sense of humor about it as well um i think the chemistry is just there because of who they are like you can't you know it's it's hard to admittedly sometimes it's hard to to separate i think me as a person from an actor because i'm just a very empathetic person and you you know, I want to go to them and comfort them. <laughs> I just do it in a way that they're, you know, you would imagine that their their wives would do it for them. And because their wives are very distinctive characters, that also makes it a little easier. I mean, one is a Texas scientist and, you know, one is a Midwestern farmer. <laughs> so that makes it a little easier. But really, it's so much of what these actors are bringing to the characters that they're playing as the exonerated um, it just and those, those moments of levity I think are just so important and so sweet and in a very short period of time um, you can see that they're teens mm-hmm. that you know these men lived for, for years feeling very alone and yet they were still open open to love like they didn't just shut down right. like they opened themselves up enough to let someone else in to trust that they would help keep you know keep them safe and not judge their history. Why do you think they did that? After everything these men have been through, why do you think they have allowed to let somebody back in? I mean, I think that's an important question to ask the guy that's been exonerated also. (laughs) And and unfortunately, those other two actors aren't here tonight, but part of it just, I mean... It's survival. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you, you have run on basically instinct for X amount of time, mm-hmm. but the, the, you know, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a Maslow yeah, or whatever. Maslow's. Food, shelter, and all, all those things. Mm-hmm. But companionship and love, especially if you think you were never going to get it again, like, not that they could just connect with any person, mm-hmm. you know, it had to be a, a specific person mm-hmm. with specific qualities. But if they don't open themselves up to that, then it doesn't matter if you're still behind bars, not behind bars, whatever. That's that's like the last piece of the, the puzzle of, of how do I survive this? Because I can only imagine that, that these people, you know, being on death row, 
the loneliness because you're the only person in the world that's got to get strapped to that table or sit in that chair or stand on that platform or in front mm -hmm. of those you know, a wall or whatever so letting these other human beings in I think they, they have to just to, to survive you know mm -hmm. to truly survive what happened not just live through it but right. survive it and to speak to that need to survive, like they all talk about the people in their lives, but then there's a couple, David for sure, and then also Sonny, um, who are in the play, who they don't have, they're the only two who don't have somebody with them on stage at those times. And so it's kind of the way they talk about the things that they're using to survive. And like Sonny becomes like a spiritual, like yoga person, and mm -hmm. she uses this, like, the and how you know she gets involved with yoga and she holds on to these memories and she goes on these talking tours and she's talking she's you know mm -hmm. you can find Sunny's character she does TED talks now like um, and so she, the the things that she used to kind of keep going and keep herself alive and then David's a little bit different with that but <laughs> yeah David actually took the more I think David's the um, embodiment of the mental effects mm -hmm. that because he ends up turning to drugs mm -hmm. and he numbs mm -hmm. the experience and he only spent two years on death row compared to like some of the other ones really short but um, yeah he, he, he numbed mm -hmm. the experience but uh, one thing I was going to say talking about like as far as them letting love in between the two characters like with Gary and Gary yeah, <laughs> it was, it's also too that they were able to give love mm -hmm. out of the experience, and even with Robert, he gives love and is still compassionate. Like we were saying earlier, like he's he's nice about some things where he shouldn't be, and maybe sometimes when you go through something like that, your only relief is to give love. Mm -hmm. well, so. I think that's that's another part of it. In, in Robert's case, he, he had a side chick, but then he had no choice but to go back, <laughs> back to the wife. Oh, so you don't, don't want to oh. tell too much of it. Miss T on, I was about to call you Miss Georgia. But um, what was your chemistry like working with me, for instance? <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't going to get there oh, yet. Okay. I was going to ask her about the job. <laughs> okay, we're not going to talk about that right okay. now. I was talking. She just pulled dipping sauce out of her pocket. <laughs> <laughs> it was just that we weren't going to talk about it. She's taking that to Robert in prison. What are you talking about? She got to smuggle it in somehow. Well, the audition process, like we said before, I came in late. And honestly, one, I didn't think I was going to get cast because I had just recently, like, the play before played a 16-year-old girl, so, um... You're sassy then, sassy now. Look at that. Well, you know. <laughs> um, so it was, uh, it was nice, like, having you to bounce off of when I first started the audition process because I was like, okay, I'm gonna go in here and somebody's gonna read for it, but I didn't realize it was going to be the person that I was actually going to be the wife of. Mm -hmm. So it was a surprise to work with you 
And then I started the actual <laughs> rehearsal process. Uh -oh. And I immediately wanted a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but in all seriously, it's been really fun working with you. I've realized that you're probably just as weird and annoying as I am. Of course. So it works great, especially when we're not on stage and you're messing with me with a feather and I want to kick you in the shit. <laughs> I mean, you see, you see the stuff that marriage couples go through right there. <laughs> so, and it helps. It helps for me in the process of getting into character and being this person's wife because, as Robert and Georgia, they're not. They're not just Robert and Georgia, the man who was exonerated and his wife. Right. They're actually man and wife. So. They have fun with things other than just dealing with what happened to Robert on death row. So having those fun moments with you off stage is what helps me on stage. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. So I just got a question like for the whole cast in general and of course the two amazing people in charge of it. What do y'all think the audience's reaction will be just by seeing this? Can I reword that question real quick? Please do. I know it doesn't okay. sound right. What do you want the audience to take away from this play? That's okay. I want them to feel bad. <laughs> I don't know if that sounds Absolutely. wrong or not, but I want them to feel bad. I want them to, I want them to leave ha uh, with a message. Mm -hmm. And it, do, do you want them... So you say mad. Do you want them to feel angry that this has happened to these these gentlemen? Or do you want them to feel um, um, or do you want them to feel sad because what, where is our society at now? Has it changed? I, I want them to feel whatever negative emotion that they can feel at the time at the if they feel take away from that moment like if it's anger at the justice system mm -hmm. if it's sad for the people who have been exonerated or the people who haven't been exonerated because like we've said like um that has been said is there are so many stories still left untold Absolutely. of people who are exonerated who have not been exonerated who are still innocent mm -hmm. so i want i want people to come come out of here feeling wanting to know more mm -hmm. like if they just go home and sit on their computers for an hour just looking at different stories other other stories and other people who have gone through the same thing or just want to know more about these exonerated six I want people to get the message that we're all trying to deliver that's the biggest thing. Like, if they can do that, then I feel like we have all done our job. Do you want them to walk out of the store saying, we as a community, we as a nation, have to step up to make sure this stops? Definitely. Enough is enough. Definitely. Y'all answer the same question one by one. It would be lovely if everybody who walked out of this door immediately was like, I'm going to... Uh, vote in a mm -hmm. way that I'm voting for people who have positive reforms for criminal justice, that I'm going to communicate with people who, you know, about what they've discovered. Um, but I, I know that that's not going to be what happens. 
happens. Uh, it would be lovely if that was the case. Uh, the thing that I want is if the people who come in here who don't know what they're walking into walk out better informed about a reality that most Americans try to live in a bubble and pretend doesn't exist. Yes. Um, and thankfully, like we're trapping an audience in this place where they can't leave in an intermission. Like, <laughs> like there's not going to be one, so they have to sit through the whole thing. Um, and they're going to have no choice but to confront something within them that either has prevented them from being aware of this or has perpetuated it. Uh, and I think there's moments in the play that, that, are, that every, people of every stripe, whether it's the, the, you know, the super liberal people who are whatever, but are still ignoring the situation, right. or the conservative people who, are very, who have always been like the crime and justice um, individuals, that there's going to be somebody that speaks to each of those and makes them reflect. And mm -hmm. if I can get every single person to at least consciously reflect, um, that says most, like if, I, if everybody does that, then that's a success. I don't think everybody's gonna walk out and start voting and changing things or you know, mm -hmm. walking out a protest at the, the jailhouse, but definitely the goal. Um, I guess uh, I would like Perm to come out of it and think twice about who they see on the street, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no matter like who, who they are. Because like you really, out of all the six, now it's just the array. Like it really surprised me that there were white people um, that were in the situation too, mm -hmm. and that was a big like eye opener again. Because like, well, because I'm black myself, but it's just like it reminds you too. Like, hey, look, it's not just us. It's a lot of us. But it could happen to anybody too. So if people can just walk out and just look at another person and stop themselves from judging mm -hmm. on the very first look mm -hmm. because of this play, that would be at, at least a baseline for repairing the damage that our society has brought onto ourselves. Absolutely. Well said. Well, I tell you, this this is this is a deep subject here, guys. You know, you know, I can actually tell you that. Uh, a lot of people that I see in life, you know, they think everything is like living on the ritz. Mm -hmm. But this is not that, you know, and uh, a lot of things happen to people that shouldn't happen. Um, the, the people here that, you know, when they leave here, I, you know, everybody wants them to leave a certain way. I want them to leave enlightened also. Mm -hmm. And and I want them to, to, to understand that, uh, you know, um, all of these people that had these things happen to them, they had to have deep faith. And, 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 and the things that they went through, you know, it actually changed their lives. Uh, my character, you know, uh, uh, as what has happened to him, uh, he, uh, he turned to uh, poetry. He, uh, he, uh, he actually wrote some things that were so prolific that people need to understand and, and read these words and understand what he's saying because I was, I was, uh, I was trapped in trying to uh, feel what he was trying to say until it was explained to me. And uh, so uh, I think he was trying to reach out to the audience and let the audience know uh, these things happen, you know, but uh, you gotta have faith in, in the world. You gotta have faith in people still. You know, all people are not bad. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, they're going to do some things on the things are going to happen. You know, depends on where you are in life. But um, I got I got to look at it like um, 
once they see the play and understand what the characters is trying to say to them, they're, they're going to actually change the way they're looking at everyone, just like um, um, David says over here. You know, they're going to have to uh, stop looking at people, you know, in a negative sense. Absolutely. You know, but everybody is not bad because of the way they look or the color of their skin. Mm-hmm. There are some good people out here, and it's, and it's sad that things happen to people, black or white, or whatever that happens, you know. I've, um, I've, 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 I've talked to the director one day, and he was telling me a story about what happened to him. And it's like, wow, you know, this actually happened to you, Steve? And, uh, and, uh, and, and to be and put in a position where you have to explain yourself, have to prove yourself when mm-hmm. you know you did nothing wrong, mm-hmm. you know, it's, that's a hard thing to, uh, hard thing to choke down, you know, but once you reveal that and, and you know, it's just uh, so much of a relief that you, they, you can make them understand that I didn't do this. I was not that person, you know, and, uh, and I'm not going to change because you tried to make me that person. Mm-hmm. And so, so I, I feel good about this play. I feel good that um, I'm chosen, and I feel good that uh, these guys are taking the time and, and the patience and letting me uh, work on these lines that they're giving me because I'm having a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> you are You're doing, doing great. absolutely yes. great. I just gotta say. Um, well, those are some hard answers to follow up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think a lot of it is just just comes down to, to for me like to realize that you have free will as well that even though they were confined, they still had hope, they still had free will to, to think, um, and to do research. Like they were in the position where they, they realized a lot of times also they had to save themselves. So they were reading law books and figuring out what to happen, but also for the audience to realize you have free will as well. You, you may have grown up within certain constructs and you know, maybe it was emphasized that you should think a certain way or believe a certain way or react mm-hmm. a certain way to people because of, you know, where you grew up or a church you went to or you know your family values that Mm -hmm. kind of thing but they have free will as well just because you believe something a certain way doesn't mean you always have to believe it and that's one of the things that Sandra's character does she was very conservative and then when she was presented with Carrie's story she you know she made her think about herself so I want the audience to be able to do that too Mm -hmm. not just go into it saying well I've always believed this but hopefully just to start to ask the questions and, and maybe reevaluate their their own thoughts and um, and and do some research as well because it was very eye opening to me like the United States is the only country and you know the Western country that still actively has capital punishment there are mm-hmm. still twenty nine states that have statutes in the United States for mm-hmm. capital punishment I would have guessed maybe three when this started to be honest like it just was, is mind blowing to me so just yeah want the audience to to question beyond what they always see and to look at people as you guys said as individuals everyone has a story that deserves to be told and deserves to be listened to absolutely you thought you couldn't follow up on what everybody else was saying <laughs> <laughs> mr steve what no, do you no, think you go first we're going to play the yeah. oh yeah i mean you just type all these wonderful answers and then yeah <laughs> yeah I would like for people to leave this place with like two different emotions really like one having like actual sympathy for these people that went through all this and the fact that they still are trying to hold their head high in society knowing that they're still going to be looked down upon because of that one mistake someone has made that they're now stuck with. Mm -hmm. 
And I also want them just to, like, really think when they leave here, like, this really is happening, like, still, and no one has done anything about it yet, or has tried and still failed. And is this, is it really going to be a big pill for people to swallow when they see this? But it's a message that still needs to be told, even mm-hmm. though it's been told different times, it still needs to be told anyway. Mm-hmm. Because people keep trying to sweep this under the rug and think, no, this is normal. No, it is not normal for a society to be like this. It's not normal for a country to be like this. So I would like everyone to leave here at least with like some type of thought and just like sympathy for everyone that's in the cast, not just the exonerated, but like the people in their lives as well. Cause they, families. Families and stuff mm-hmm. too, because they had to deal with this as well. It felt like even though they weren't locked up as well, but it felt like they were still locked up in a way because they're not with the person they love. So, it's a real big pill to swallow. And it's that's what makes me keep having nerves about this. And I'm nervous because it's a very powerful piece. And I'm just trying not to fuck this up. And Steve, you're going to go to you, guys. <laughs> I agree with uh, everything everybody said. Uh, but, but I have uh, perhaps... Uh, different hopes for it um for for how not different but while agreeing with everybody there's also a level that i have to look at as a producer and artistic director with theater um there's my my favorite quote about art in general is by kurt vonnegut the role of the artist in society is as that of a canary in a coal mine Uh, meaning that it's uh, the role of the artist to warn society uh, when things are dangerous and when things aren't um, safe anymore. And I want people to walk out the door going, I didn't know theater could do that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that art could do that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that I was capable of being moved or, or pushed into facing my comfort levels of not thinking about certain things, that I could be put in a position by an artistic piece to to want to learn more, to want to do more, to want to know more. Yes. And for them to, to take with them the experience that um, a play doesn't have to be a comedy or, mm-hmm. or a musical or, or, or a typical drama or anything like that, that art, theater specifically, but art in general, can take different forms and create different movements. That's, that's what I want people to walk out going, I didn't know a play could do that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the message that I want them to take out into the world, not just to increase asses and in seats for this play, not to just go tell their neighbors, you really need to go see this. Mm-hmm. But uh, theater is a dying form mm-hmm. of entertainment. It's competing with a lot of things. And if, if we instill within a population that theater can give you an experience unlike any other mm-hmm medium out there or, or at least live performance if mm-hmm. not theater then that helps the form survive mm-hmm. and it makes it possible to keep telling stories like the stories of the exonerated or like the stories of Matthew Shepard mm-hmm. and it, it, it gives validity and power to an art form that many people think is meant just for show tunes and, and Neil Simon because there are film versions of 
Larry Project and the Exonerated, mm -hmm. and neither of them have the power that the script does when it's performed to people on a real stage. Exactly. There's an electricity. I mean, there, there are some beautiful films. I'm not anti-film, anti-television, or anything mm -hmm. like that. But the connection of a group of people in a room witnessing mm -hmm. something simultaneously, there's no feeling like that. And if, if people can leave with that sense of community, that sense of having a shared experience, then it starts becoming a universal experience and not just a personal one. Absolutely. Well, with that being said, now is the time for free talk as usual. So, is there anything you all would like to promote or talk about at this time? Or a positive thought you want to raise it's up to you. Um, if you haven't seen Ben Hart's um, mime performance piece <laughs> uh, and a podcast is the perfect place to witness Ben Hart doing mine uh, um, you should check it out and then, in fact for the next 10 seconds just uh, experience Ben Hart doing mine yeah. you're a horrible husband <laughs> it's been one second <laughs> yet you're still talking <laughs> Is anything you would like to promote? Uh, this play. <laughs> uh, you guys have worked so hard on it, I think you deserve to be seen. And the subject matter deserves to be watched. So, Alright, of course, you know, if they would like to come to the play, how can they come to the play exactly? They can go online to Big Dog, that's D-A-W-G, productions.org. Big Dog, productions.org. And there are links at the website that will allow you to purchase a ticket. That's the easiest and, and most productive way to, to get a ticket. Mm -hmm. And also, when are these show dates? The show runs... Uh, November 6th. Which is a Wednesday. Wednesday. This coming Wednesday. Uh, and it runs the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday of that week. And then the following Thursday through Sunday for the next two weeks. So the 14th okay, to the 17th, so and then the 21st through the 24th. After. Yeah, give those dates again. <laughs> November 6th through 10th, 14th through 17th, and 21st through 24th. And all shows are 8 p.m. except for Sundays, which are 3 p.m. Mm -hmm. Oh, they said 8 p.m. All right, I got to tell you they can come an hour later, okay? <laughs> so, with that being said, we're going to... Of course, conclude this wonderful episode of the Real Cheese Podcast. Very, very special shout out to the whole cast, of course, for y'all just taking times out y'all day to come do this little thing with me. Also, a big shout out to Mr. Steven Dodds themselves for taking times out their day to come help me mm -hmm. do this little piece of shit here. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, it's like real honor to even work with y'all because I've heard of. Big dog is never exactly experienced the big dog experience like I have right now. And it's been really fun working with y'all. I got to say, I'm learning a lot. And even though when I first got into this, it made me feel like I was a rookie working with all these vets here. But <laughs> I'm learning, trying to get back into that field, my, that minefield. So, with that being said, I'd like for all y'all to close out yourselves first. Let's all close out. All y'all do y'all own close out here. That's one day we're going to switch up on this season. So how, how would you close out if you were to end the podcast? Bye. 
Bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah nice. absolutely. Thank you. Oh, let me ask this. Would y'all like to do another episode on the final show of the exam? Oh, yeah. Um, see, the way I got things to do. <laughs> <laughs> the divorce will be a final by then. Uh, <laughs> the divorce will be final. I will... Um, I would like to go on record as saying that um, I have no problem obligating the cast members who aren't here. Ask them all the questions. Yep. So we'll do that when the, the show's over. Um, that'll, be, that'll be good. Even if it's meeting at a restaurant and hooking up and putting the mics on the table. Seriously, thanks to you guys for doing this, all the promotion in advance, and oh, just yeah. thanks, no thanks it's to, an honor. to Steve it's an and honor. Big Dog, because they, they really do always bring shows that that just deserve to be seen, that aren't the shows that you see all the time, um, and there's so much value in that, there really is. And yeah, very, very special shout out to Big Dog Productions themselves for even having us do the podcast here today. And again, like Mr. C said, that's dog, D-A-W-G. You put that W in there. <laughs> like when y'all be at work all day and your dogs be hurting, yeah, there's like that type of dog right there. <laughs> so with that being said, oh, forgot, Miss Minton, you always got to leave us on a positive note. Don't forget when you go out and you start your day to always smile because you never know whose life you can change. Oh, wow. Oh, that's that's true. true. Ain't she a, ain't she a delight just to say that in <laughs> episode like that? Alright, y'all. Y'all heard the best, and y'all catch y'all on the next one. And I hope y'all enjoyed y'all serving of the Grilled Cheese Podcast. <laughs>